Today's scripture comes to us from Matthew chapter 7, verses 1 through 6. Judge not that you be not judged. For with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged, and with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye, when there is the log in your own eye? You hypocrite, first take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Do not give dogs what is holy, and do not throw pearls before pigs, lest they trample them underfoot and turn to attack you. This is the word of God. Thanks be to God. Thank you for that reading. Let's bow our heads, asking for the Lord's blessing. And now, Lord, we pray that you would once again speak to your people, for we have gathered for this purpose, Lord. We are so hungry. We are so famished for your word to speak to us. Father, wherever we may be on this journey, this season of exile, waiting to get into the promised land, we pray that you will sustain us with the water that comes from the rock that is our Christ, feeding us the manna, the bread of heaven, who is our Lord and Savior Jesus. We pray now that you would bless this message in spite of the one who brings it, for we ask in Jesus' name, amen. You know, one of the recurring lessons that life is always teaching us is that you would do best at avoiding the extremes of life. Put it another way. One of the things that life is always telling us is that life is at its best when you find balance. A couple of examples. Consider food, a basic necessity to life. And yet, if you eat too little of it, you die, malnutrition. And yet, on the other hand, you eat too much of it, you die from heart disease. Or consider another vital thing we need, exercise. You do too little of it, your body deteriorates. You do too much of it, which I don't think is a struggle for many of us, your body deteriorates. It's never too good to have too much or too little of something. No, life teaches us that if you want to flourish, you should find balance. And we see this lesson of balance in the Christian life. In fact, I would go so far as to say that you see this most preeminently in the Christian life. For case in point, our Lord Jesus, in this passage for today, teaches us on a very vital issue that is relevant to you and I, that we Christians are notorious of taking to extremes. And that is the issue of judging, specifically judging other people. We Christians are pretty bad at going to extremes when it comes to judging the people around us. And because of that, it results in disunity, discouragement, and destruction to the community of the church since the very beginning. And so the question that we need to be able to answer for ourselves as a church family is how do we avoid discouragement in this context that leads to disunity, that leads further to destruction of the church because of the problem of extremes? Well, that is what Jesus is going to answer for us in this wonderful uh, part of the Sermon on the Mount. And as we take a look at this passage, three things that we're going to be aware of. First, we're going to see the first extreme people take when it comes to judging other people. Then we're going to take a look at the other extreme people take when it comes to judging other people. And finally, we're going to try and find the right balance when it comes to judging other people. One extreme of judging other people, the other extreme of judging other people, and then finally, the right balance when it comes to judging other people. All right, let's jump right in. First, the first extreme that people take 
when they judge other people. Start again with me, verse 3 to verse 4, where it reads as follows. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye, when there is the log in your own eye? Now, for those of you who aren't familiar with the teaching style of Jesus, you might be reading this and you're wondering, what in the world is Jesus talking about? What's all this talk about logs and speck in an eye? Well, let me explain. Jesus has a tendency in his pedagogy to use a lot of figurative language, almost to the point of it being ridiculous to make a clear and obvious point. You guys have heard this phrase before. It's raining cats and dogs out there. Oh, I'm so hungry I could eat a horse. The same idea is going on here. And Jesus here in our passage is using figurative language to illustrate for us to how extreme people can be when they judge the people around them. Consider again his words in verse 3. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Here, Jesus is describing a pretty ridiculous scenario where you have a person that has basically a two-by-four protruding out of their eye, which in some astonishing way they don't see, they don't notice, and yet they have no problem whatsoever of noticing a speck, basically a dust particle, in another person's eye. Now think about that for a moment. How in the world could that be possible? How in the world could a person be so focused on another person that they don't see a massive bat coming out of their eye a massive wooden stick coming out of their eye and yet they can notice they can zero in on the speck of dust in another person's eye the answer is obvious because that person is so obsessed he's so preoccupied what the other person is doing that they don't notice what is happening to them in other words this person that jesus is describing this judgmental person with the lock sticking out of his eye is so obsessed he is so committed of finding fault in the other person that he is so crazy about it this according to jesus is a person who is extreme in his judgmentalism and what is this person like you know what he's like he's like the paparazzi he's a person sitting watching and waiting for anything that he can look at to scrutinize so that he could be the first one to say, I see you. You know, Sherlock Holmes has nothing on these kinds of people because in their brain, it's always functioning like a massive magnifying glass that really blows things out of proportion so that they can fixate on something that they consider evidence as proof that this person should be called out on. This person has flaws, either for the purpose of publicly announcing it to the people around them or maybe even keeping it to themselves for their own private enjoyment to the stroking of their own ego. That, according to Jesus, is the person who has the plank in his eye. That is the person who is extreme in his judgmentalism. Now, just in case, if you're wondering if that is you, let me give you some symptoms that I've seen that are common of people who struggle with this kind of spiritual ailment. Symptom number one, people who are plank-eyed judgmental people tend to have what I call quality filtering. Quality filtering, and what that basically means is that a person looks at another and only sees bad qualities in them, and nothing more, okay? A person who has quality filtering tendency will begin to think that a person has bad problems, bad qualities, bad issues, and they'll selectively data gather on this person, 
to where they will only look for certain traits that will validate and reinforce their initial negative impression of the person. And whenever they come across a positive attribute that is genuinely there, you know what they're going to say? Fake news. That's not real. That's not who they really are. And they just completely bypass it, ignore it, saying it's not real, only focusing on the negative things that they say that's who they really are. That's what I call quality filtering. The second symptom of excessive extreme judgmentalism is when you interpret the words or actions of a person in the worst possible light that you could think of. I once heard a story of a pastor being invited by a nearby church to come and speak at their evening Sunday service. And so this pastor graciously accepted. So he arrives early at the church parking lot, maybe 30 minutes early. He parks, works on his manuscript, periodically pulling out his little white pencil to make edits. And then all of a sudden, one of the elders pull up next to him, gets out of the car, looks into the window, see what the pastor's doing, goes into the church, And then the pastor, a few moments later, goes into the church, and right away, he can feel the animosity. He can feel the coldness around a group of people where the elder was amongst of. When the pastor is so bold to say, is there a problem here? Did I do something wrong? You know what the elder said? He said, you know, we don't appreciate that we come and ask you to preach the word of God, and you have the audacity to sit in our parking lot smoking a cigarette. Can you imagine how embarrassed the elder must have been when he pulled out the white pencil in front of him? That is what we tend to see, where people are interpreting actions in the worst possible light. A third symptom is what I would call generalization. This is another symptom of extreme forms of judgmentalism where all you tend to do is see characteristics of people. When you see a specific action that a person does and you don't agree with it, you assume that's how they generally are all the time. That's the essence of who they are. And I think as New Yorkers, this is a chronic struggle for us because one of the things that I think this city does is constantly disciple us of being so cynical of thinking that people are the worst people that they could be. For example, if you see someone driving a very high-end expensive car, you see that specific action, you come to the conclusion, oh, that person, so materialistic, so worldly, so driven by money and, and, and greed. Or you're out in a gathering and maybe someone at your table orders a glass of wine. You think, oh, I just knew it. So weak-willed, so alcoholic, you know, just so driven by psychological weakness that they need intoxication to cope in this world. Right? Generalization. Now, if any of these three symptoms that I just stated describes you, right, then Jesus would say, you got a plank in your eye and you don't see it. You're too harsh. You're too critical. You're too extreme when it comes to your judgments of other people. And Jesus warns us that you better watch out because there's inherent danger that comes when you behave that way. Look again at what he says in verse 2. For with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. And with measure you use it, will be measured to you. What's he saying? He's saying, be careful to the standard in which you judge other people because the time will come if you don't change that behavior where that same standard will be applied to you. And the unspoken assumption is you're not going to fare any better, right? If the same standard that you put on other people is put onto you, 
You're just as messed up. You're just as condemned. You're just as ruined as those people that you're trying to condemn and ruin with your judgments. You see, Jesus is attacking an underlying assumption that drives us to be so critical in our judgmentalism. And that is, I would never be that way. I am so much not like you. I am so much better than you. And Jesus says, no, no, no. Be careful. The way you judge others, I will judge you and I will show you first and foremost that this assumption of superiority is absolutely false. And Jesus says, be careful because you don't want to fall into the ultimate trap that results by following this pattern of thinking and living, which is your own condemnation. Do not be extreme in your judgments of other people. Watch out. Now, with all that said, We have to be careful because as they say, just because one extreme is bad doesn't mean the other extreme is better. Because as we'll see in just a moment, as much as we should avoid this kind of extreme judgmentalism, Jesus is going to show us in just a moment how we should be careful and not falling into the other extreme that we see so often in the church. And to explain, I go to my next point, the other extreme people take when it comes to judging other people. Let's start again at verse one. Judge not that you be not judged. The NIV says it this way. Do not judge or you too will be judged. Now, these words of Jesus are perhaps some of the most well-known in all the Bible to the point where even non-Christians are quoting it to this day. And the reason why these words are so popular is because it reinforces a very popular notion in our culture today that basically says this. It is never right, it is never cool, it is never appropriate to judge anyone for anything, ever. You know, one of the phrases that captures this that you might have heard is this. You can't judge me. Only God can judge me. Who are you to judge me? You cannot judge me. You heard that before? I have. And far too often, out of the mouths of Christians. And of course... It's understandable because the rationale goes something like this. Hey, if it's obviously wrong to go to the extreme of judging people, if that's absolutely not good, then that must mean if we go the other extreme on the opposite direction, that would be really good. That would be right. It wouldn't be wrong. Here's the problem with that kind of reasoning. According to Jesus, that's absolutely not true. Read again what he says in verse 4 and verse 5. Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when there is the log in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the log out of your own eye and then you will clearly be able to take out the speck in your brother's eye. Notice what Jesus does not say. He doesn't say, you hypocrite, first take the log out of your own eye and then leave your brother alone. What does he say? First take the log out of your own eye and then, and then take the speck out of your brother's eye. Jesus tells us, we Christians, we should judge other people, specifically other Christians. That's the reference to the brother in his statement. Consider these words from the Apostle Paul, 1 Corinthians chapter 5. We're starting in verse 9. It reads, I, Paul, wrote to you in my letter not to associate with sexually immoral people, not at all meaning the sexually immoral of this world or the greedier and swindlers or idolaters, since then you would need to go out of the world. But now I'm writing to you not to associate with anyone who bears the name of brother if he is guilty of sexual immorality or greed or is an idolater, reviler, drunkard, or swindler, not even to eat with such a one. For what have I to do with judging outsiders? 
It is not those, is it not those inside the church whom you are to judge? God judges those outside, purge the evil person from among you. Here, Paul confirms, he echoes what Jesus says in our passage, which is we Christians are called upon God to scrutinize, to call out, to judge one another who bears the name brother or sister in Christ. You need to understand that when Jesus starts off saying, do not judge or you two will be judged, that's not his way of saying that we should never, ever judge at all. Because if that were true, that would lead to a certain danger that Jesus doesn't want us to fall into as well. See, the reason why Jesus will never say, don't you ever judge anyone for anything ever, is because, as we'll see in a moment, there is something inherently dangerous that is just as bad if you go to the extreme of judging people critically. Now, you're thinking to yourself, Pastor, how can that be? What danger, what possible danger could there be of refusing to judge another person? Isn't that actually a good thing? At least that's what our culture says. Well, consider what Jesus says in verse 6. Do not give dogs what is holy, and do not throw your pearls before pigs, lest they trample them underfoot and turn to attack you. Now, this is such an odd statement. What is this reference of dogs and pigs, and what does that have anything to do about judging other people? Well, I think it's really simple. Jesus is telling us the consequences of what happens to a person when you refuse to be in their life in such a way that you're willing to call them out when they're obviously doing something very egregiously wrong and sinful. Right? When you and I, according to Christ, refuse to call someone out when they're living in sin, when we refuse to give them correct judgment, we are inadvertently harming them, causing danger to them, because we are causing them to become like a wild animal, like a dog, like a pig. Consider these words from Proverbs 26, verse 11. Like a dog that returns to his vomit is a fool who repeats his folly. Here, Proverbs describes a dog eating his own vomit as a metaphor of a fool going back to his folly. A person who never learns from his failures, never learns from his mistakes, and keeps going back to the same stupid, idiotic things over and over again. Never learning his lessons, never wanting to respond, never wanting to develop and mature, always going back to the same stupid things. Now, when you combine that idea with what Jesus is saying here, his point is so obvious. When you refuse to correct someone through your judgments of them, whether they be your best friend, whether they be your own child, you are endangering that person because you're causing them to become like a dog returning to his vomit. You're causing them to be the fool. And here's what's so scary. The longer you withhold that kind of loving, corrective judgment to them, pretty soon they'll have no sense of right and wrong, and they'll have a sense of entitlement, even of things that harm them. And what's even scarier than that is that the longer this goes on, the more stubbornness they have to where they're so unteachable that whenever you try to give them some corrective knowledge, whenever you try to give them some pearls of wisdom, They'll trample on it like the way pigs trample on pearls. That's the point Jesus is getting at. And one of the things that the Bible teaches and life confirms is that fools don't do well in this world. You know a fool? You know someone who is just so stubborn, so unteachable, so committed to their own ways, and they keep it up consistently, end up in a very situation of, Less, a life of less, right? 
their job less. They could be homeless. They could be friendless. And sadly, they could even be lifeless, dead. That is the danger of having the extreme attitude that says, I'm never going to judge anyone, right? Yeah, you do you, I do me. I have no obligation, no responsibility. Just live your life however you want. You want to go back to that vomit? Go back to that vomit. If you want to trample on those pearls, go ahead and trample on those pearls. Who am I to judge? Here we see two dangerous extremes of critical condemning judgmentalism and non-judgmentalism, so pervasive in the world and sadly so prevalent in the church. And the question becomes... How do we find that right balance? How do we find the kind of judgmentalism, if I could put it that way, that is actually life-giving and good? Well, this leads me to the final point. Finding the right balance when it comes to judging other people. Go back with me to verse 5. You hypocrite, first take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Here, Jesus tells us how we can avoid these two dangerous extremes. And he says it quite simply. Just take the log out of your own eye. That's what he says. He says it simply, doesn't he? But as I have experienced, it's not simple. How can we just take it out of our own eye, Jesus? You just said in verse 3 that we don't even see it. How can we take something out when we're not even aware that it's there? How do we, how do, we do that? The answer You know what the answer is. It's the gospel, right? What is the gospel? The gospel is the good news that says God came into the world as a man, as Jesus Christ, so he could save us from our sins by doing what? Carrying two massive wooden logs in the form of a cross, right? And you know what that means? It means every time you look upon those two wooden crosses, You see something that many of us are in denial of all the time. You see your wickedness. You see your sins. You see everything that is wrong with you that you act as if isn't there. That's what the log is, by the way, if you weren't aware. The log coming out of your eye are things that you obviously know. That's the representative of why it's coming out of your eye. Because subconsciously, unconsciously, you know it's there. But you act as if it's not. It is your sin. It is your sin. It is your darkened, evil, perverted, self-nature, self-centered sin. See, that is what the log in our eyes mean. But here's where all of this is good news. Because when you look to the cross, not only do you see wooden logs, who else do you see? You see Jesus. You see the one who died on the cross, who died was laid on the cross, who covered the cross with his bleeding, broken body. That's what the gospel teaches, that through Jesus' death on the cross, he killed the condemnation of what those wooden logs say about you and about me. It is through Jesus' death and his suffering that led to that death that atones, that forgives, that reconciles, that ransoms all of us from ever suffering the condemnation you and I deserve for what those wooden logs represent. You see? That is the gospel. That's how you take the log out of your own eye, by looking to Jesus, not looking to yourself. 
Not through your religious performance, not through your morality, not through those self-help books that you're reading, not through those lectures on how to be, you know, highly habited person of effective living, whatever it is, seven habits of highly effective living, you know. It comes only through Jesus and Jesus alone. And once you get that, then you are set free from falling into the two extremes of overjudgmentalism and non-judgmentalism. First, would you understand the gospel shows you of your brokenness and of your sins? That'll prevent you from going too far when you judge somebody else. Because you will never, ever start off with the foundation of thinking, I would never do what that person did. I could never act that way. Man, that person went there. I could never go there. I could never be like that person. Wrong. The gospel reminds you through the wooden beams of the cross that you're just as bad and you could be just as worse or worse than that person because you are a sinner saved by grace. You are a broken sinner in need of the gospel as much as the person that you are condemning and yet withholding the gospel too. Secondly, when you look to the cross, you will also recognize that sin is a serious matter. If there's anything that the cross shows us is that God takes sin seriously to the point that he had to be humiliated, he had to be beaten, he had to be killed, he had to be separated from his Father in heaven. That's a serious response to sin god is not a non-judgmental god he is a very judgmental god but he's also a merciful judgmental god to where he takes that judgment upon himself why because he cares enough for you so much to call you out to be judgmental towards you so that you will not go in the direction of the pig of the dog where you end up in the way of the fool to your own destructive ways You see, it is only through your comprehension of the gospel that you avoid the two extremes and therefore the two dangers that come of being overly judgmental or being non-judgmental. That is the context and that is the means in which you and I are able to create a community of people who judge not for the purpose to condemn, but for the purpose of compassionate love and grace and mercy. Hear me when I say this, Christian. Our world tells us that when you judge another person, the only underlying motive of why you do so is to condemn them. The Bible says, yeah, that's there, but that's not the only motive. One of the things that you need to understand that our world is not telling us is that the reason why we should judge is not to condemn, but because we are compassionate. The cross is perhaps the most beautiful paradox of all, where we see a judgmental God as an expression of his incredible compassionate love for us. That is the paradox we're called to live. The question that I have is, are we living that out? It begins here. It begins in this church. The question that I have of you lately is, what is your posture towards the people that you do church with? Just a little tangent that's not even in my notes. Eventually, we are going to have elders of this church. Men who we are going to say are called by God to serve as spiritual authorities of this community. Here's the struggle that I see when it comes to this. Some of you guys have known each other since you were like, you know, little kids. 
One brother said something at another person's wedding that I'm not even going to repeat because it's, it's funny, but it's, it's not appropriate. Some of you guys have known each other that long, right? And one of, the, one of the real dangers that I see in that, aside from the good history that it creates, is that sometimes you can think that the way a person is when they're 20 is how they're always going to be, even if they're 40 right now, which means... If you have a hard time respecting who a person was when they were in their 20s, it's hard for you to respect them now, maybe in their late 30s and 40s. And when the time comes for us to consider, right, whether certain people are qualified to serve in certain aspects of leadership, one of the drawbacks that I might see you guys struggling with is, yeah, but I know who this person is. I still have memories of them. But do you have faith in what God is doing in their lives now? Do you have faith that there is such a thing as growth? Do you have faith in the power of the gospel? I'm not saying that we should overlook obvious flaws, but what I am saying is be careful that as we grow together as a community and as we mature as a family, that we are not aware of any logs sticking out of our eyes because we're so fixated on the dust that we see in others. Because the fact of the matter is, we all have logs. All of us have logs. But the good news is Jesus took all of them and he was nailed to all of it, thereby freeing us and empowering us to change. I hope and pray that that will be lived out here and that it would spill out into the world for the world to see. Let's pray. Father, we ask that you would help us to not fall into the dangers that we see so often in churches today, whether it be in the form of critical, legalistic, condemning judgmentalism or whether it be in the licentious non-judgmentalism that we see in the world so often today father it is a difficult thing especially when we are surrounded in this social media age of what is evil and what is wrong and what is hateful and, and and so forth god help us to be courageous into following your word for it is only in your word that we find the right balance to all of this Father, either extremes is something we seek to avoid. And the only way we can find that avoidance is by looking to you, Lord Jesus. Help us to do that each day in our families, in our church, and in our interactions with this world. Let us be the blessing that you've called us to be so that we can be compassionate in our judging of others, not critical or condemning. For that is what you are. You are the great merciful judge. Let us live that out by the way that we treat one another and by the way that we live our lives before a watching world. For we ask in Jesus' name, amen.